Whatever you're going to be following along as we read God's Word to the book of Jonah, the little prophetic book of Jonah, found in the Old Testament right after Obadiah, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. So it's right in that group. Well, if you have been affiliated with Grace Church after the onset of COVID, you have heard a whole lot of talk about us being a sending church and having a primary focus on places on this planet where people do not have access to the gospel, where men and women could not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ if they wanted to because it's not available in their culture. You've heard a lot of talk about that. You see these flags up here where we are engaging the darkness in those parts of the world. But unfortunately, because of COVID, you have never seen a sending church in action. But buddy, you're about to. Jim Wales is here from Peru. He'll be leaving Wednesday. Is that right, Jim? Headed back to rejoin Mandy and the family in Peru as they are about this business. Uh, Dane and Cheryl Caldwell are here today, and they're going to be skipping out of here, going to engage the Quilombolas of Brazil again uh, this Tuesday. And they're going to be replacing some of our missionaries who will be rotating out. Got a good report from them this week. Folks responded and are coming to faith in the Quilombola villages of northeast Brazil. Just want you to know that. So Dane is going to go right into a hot culture and the baton is going to be passed to him. Uh, then two weeks from tomorrow, I'm going to be leaving, going to Brazil to reestablish some networks and pathways because we are getting the, the, the green flag to once again begin receiving short-term mission teams in Brazil to help us with the Quilombolas. Matter of fact, Grace Church is going to be sending their first short-term team to northeast Brazil uh, with us in June. And then we are already looking at a second team from Grace Church in October. So thank the Lord this stuff is dying down and we're about to hit the road again and take the gospel to the people who would not hear it otherwise. So, I'm, man, I, I tell you, I'm just giddy about it. It's about time. Uh, we've been talking about it for a long time, and this pandemic kind of put everything on pause, but here we go. But right now, Jonah. So let's look at Jonah chapter number 2 and 3. Now, you remember our boy Jonah. He was a working prophet to the nation of Israel. God spoke to him one day and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Those old wicked Ninevites that nobody liked. Matter of fact, Jonah would have been pleased for them just to have been pushed off of the abyss and gone into hell forever. So the Lord speaks to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nah, don't think I'm going to do that, Lord. So he goes down to Joppa, finds him a sailing ship, and things go down from there, literally. So a storm comes up, the sailors begin to pray. They find out Jonah's the reason, throw him overboard. He's dying, his life is ebbing away. And a big fish comes and eats him. And then in that fish, in the belly of the fish, uh, Jonah had a come-to-Jesus meeting. So he repents in the belly of the fish, and we're going to pick up right there in verse number 10 of chapter 2 and read through the conclusion of chapter number 3. Bible says, beginning in verse number 10 of chapter 2, Then Yahweh commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. i got to stop right there. Funny, funny, hilarious thing. Heather and I were in Brazil 
about five years ago when we were frontline missionaries. And uh, during, uh, during the Bible study time, uh, someone always takes the children out, beautiful little children, they take them out and one of the things they do while the adults are having a Bible study is they teach the children a Bible verse. And they're going to come back in and, and, and cite that Bible verse to the adults before we leave. It's just part of their culture. It's what they do. So they had this little old guy. He must have been about three or four years old. And he learned a Bible verse that day. And he was going to say it for the entire group. This was the verse that he memorized. <laughs> so he comes in and the teacher's all proud, you know. And they put him up front and said, said now, uh, now, little Hoppy, tell them what you learned today in Sunday school. And he says this. He says, and the Lord spoke to Jonah, and he vomited a fish. <laughs> Hilarious. And I thought, you know, not too far from the truth. Has God ever spoken to you and you wanted to vomit? Huh? <laughs> you may be too spiritual for that, but he has to me. <laughs> he said some things to me before just made me want to throw up, to be honest with you. But anyway, that's what the little boy said happened here. Let me read it again to get it back in context. What really happened, okay? What really happened, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh, according to the word of the covenant-keeping God. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Well... I think everybody in this building, whether you know it or not, is called to preach. I mean, that's what the gospel is all about, is it not? I mean, the Great Commission says, go therefore and preach. So sometimes we think it's just the preachers who are called to preach, but no, everybody is. The only difference between me and you is I'm called to preach in a pastoral capacity. Uh, you may be called to preach as a missionary. You may be called to preach as a parent. You may be called to preach in your workplace, but we're all called to preach, i.e. communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. So before I get into this message, I want to help your preaching ability a little bit this morning, can I? 
So this is preaching class. So just play like we're all enrolled in the Baptist College of Florida and you're students in the preaching track. Here we go. Let me tell you a few things about preaching. Number one, anytime a message, an expository message is preached, then the salient points of that message must apply not only to the historical context from which they are extracted in the Bible, but they must also apply to the contemporary hearers today in the same fashion. Now if we do not do that, then simply all we're doing is preaching history or we're giving a history lesson. And can I say to you, that's why so many messages are boring and so many folks sleep during so-called preaching. It's because it's nothing more than a history lesson. On the other hand, if we divorce it from its historical context and we only talk about relevant application today, then it is divorced from its source of authority, which is the abiding Word of God. So it has to be both. It has to apply not only from and to the historical context, but to contemporary hearers today. Now I say that because here's what I'm going to tell you uh, about this message. Here's the subject. Number one, I think this entire chapter gets at this subject. Disaster averted. Because here's what God said. God basically said judgment's coming. It's coming. Forty more days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. That was Jonah's message. Now I almost titled this message today, How is the United States of America like Nineveh? Because, buddy, this is a message that we need to hear today because there's a lot of similarities. But I decided to put my positive twist on this thing and not be be the prophet of doom, even though I think that is a legitimate way to communicate the heart of the text found in Jonah chapter number 3. Judgment is coming. Now, in this chapter, obviously that disaster was averted. So the question for us today becomes, what happened in Nineveh that caused them to avert the pending and coming disaster, and that is the judgment from the hand of Almighty God? Hey, would you agree with me today that America's ripe for this? You know, it was Billy Graham that used to say, if God doesn't judge America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, how about Nineveh? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said that I tell you the truth that the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And boy, we're far from even considering repentance as a nation. So here we go. Let's look at this. Disaster averted. How was that disaster averted? And how will the coming judgment upon the United States of America, if we agree that it's coming... And look, we may already be seeing the birth pains of it now, huh? But if it's coming, what is it going to take for the judgment of God to be stayed and the disaster averted in the United States of America? Here we go. Number one, I think it's going to be averted when a person, you can write in here when one person is vomited from his prison. Now you see, this is why I wanted to help you preaching a little bit. You say, Pastor Richie, why would you state it like that? Well, for two reasons. Number one is because it's historical, is it not? Notice what the Bible says. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah. But now, Brother Richie, how does that apply to us? Because we've not been eaten by a fish, but oh, listen to me. Have you ever been consumed by anything? Huh? Has anything ever eaten you up? 
And that whatever consumes you kind of becomes a prison that just captivates you and you are held in its grip and you can't get free from it. You see, the Bible says that if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. I think that what it's going to take for judgment to be averted in the United States of America is some folk being set free. Who knows what God can do when one person gets set free? Do you know that every revival, every awakening that's ever happened in the United States of America, you can trace it back to almost every time one person who got set free and did what it is that God wanted them to do and an entire revival issued out of it. Friend, that's why we preach every Sunday. Who knows? You know, I, I mean, I just don't expect it to happen here like it does in Brazil. Dana tell you in Brazil, when a village converts, it's almost a people group movement where they all come at one time to faith. We are too individualistic in the United States, but here's what I'm saying we can do with that individualism. It only takes one person to get right with God for revival to sweep through the city of Bonifay, the state of Florida, and the United States of America. That's what we're looking for. So, hey, it may be you. It could be you. The one person who gets vomited from the prison that's holding them in. Now, why do I say and why do I maintain this biblical word? Vomited. Well, here's the reason. When somebody gets set free, and when somebody's been consumed by something, when somebody's been eaten, it's just like it was with Jonah. Now, when Jonah was vomited out of the belly of that fish on dry land, here's why I kept this word. When somebody gets vomited out of whatever has consumed them, it's usually or it's normally messy. Is it not? Stop thinking about Jonah. Big old fish comes up, vomits him out on dry land. What do you think his physical condition was as soon as his feet hit the sand? I mean, he probably looked like something that your house cat eats and then regurgitates on the carpet. Huh? It's just messy, isn't it? I mean, can you just stop thinking about it? I mean, here's the thing. The word vomit just almost makes you want to vomit, doesn't it? There's something just inherent in the word vomit that just kind of makes you have a visceral reaction. And here's the thing. I, I want to tell you something. I, I, I can count on one hand how many times I have vomited in the past 25 years. Brother, I don't do that. Are you with me? I, I might turn green and die ball up in a knot, and I got friends that say, why don't you just go ahead and puke and you'll feel better? No, that's a lie. <laughs> you don't feel better. You feel worse. You know when it's coming out your nose and out your eyeballs and everywhere else? I mean, y'all see what y'all saying? It's messy. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, just one or two nights this past week, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm woken up out of REM sleep, deep sleep, because Wyatt Johnson, our GPS, was on the floor going, hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> so I'm about trip and break, fall and hit the wall, trying to find a doorknob to throw him in the yard. And you know why I was trying to get him in the yard? It's messy, brother. <laughs> Who wants to clean it up? Look, I can just be in the vicinity of somebody. I, got a, I almost said puking. Is it all right with y'all if I just say that? Huh? That's what it is, ain't it? 
if you puke, i got to put my fingers in my ear. Because if I hear you puking, I'm going to do it too. It's just nasty. It's just, is there anybody here that puke don't bother them? Raise your hand because we got a good job for you. Grace kids right over here. <laughs> we got all the puke and dirty diapers you can handle, right, sir? <laughs> Here's my point. When you've been consumed by something because you're running from God and you finally are vomited out, look here, it's nasty. It's usually a mess. Historically, Jonah was a mess. Think of all the, 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 the half-digested fish that were in his pockets. The, the digestive juices that were still on him. I mean, he had every cat. <laughs> he had every cat in the country following him. Meow. <laughs> He smelt like nine lives, did he not? It's messy. But watch me. When you're running from God and whatever it is finally vomits you out and you get free from your prison, it normally happens in the context of a mess. It normally means that, man, this is a sticky mess that I've got myself into. Thank God I've been vomited out, but now I've lost my job. Sometimes it's financial bankruptcy. Sometimes you lose your family. Sometimes relationships are, are, are gone and injured and messed up. If you're running from God and you've been consumed by something, oh, you can get out with repentance. You can be vomited out, but it's normally messy. I don't know anybody who's been consumed with something that came out of it unscathed. It's just the way it is. So if disaster is going to be averted, number one, takes one person to get free. And when that happens, it's usually messy. But number two, notice what happened historically and will have to happen with us as well. Not only when a person is vomited from his prison is it normally, is it normally messy, but you also land where you left. Look at this. Look at what the Bible says. Now the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. You know, the text doesn't specifically say this, but if I were a betting man, you know where I bet that fish vomited him out? Right where he caught that ship to get away from God. Because that's the way it is spiritually. Here's what happens. When you say no to God and things begin to go south, and this is just a part of pastoral counseling because folk come to me sometimes broken. Brother Rich, you have... I, 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 things are just not going right and I know it's because I'm not right with God. My relationship with Him is strained. Our fellowship is, is, it, is it best tattered. What do I need to do? And here's the first thing I say. You need to go back to the place where you said no to Him. Where did you leave the road with God? Because this didn't just happen on its own. There was a time when you consciously made a decision to leave the road with God. And now your life has been through this, your ship is tattered, you're beaten back and forth, your life is a mess. It's about time, you know, you've been vomited and, 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 and your life is a mess and now here you are. Back at square one. Because here's the way it works spiritually. You can't skip first base and end up at third base. You can't just cut across the diamond. 
These things happen in order. So a lot of times, you've wasted five years, and now you're still back at square one because the fish is going to vomit you out right where you said no. You see, you've got to go back to that no, and you've got to take your no off the table, and you've got to put an unconditional yes on the table. And say, God, whatever it is, speak. Your servant's listening. Here's my blank check. Here's my yes. What's it going to take for disaster to be averted in our lives personally, in our church, in our nation? What it's going to take one person being vomited from their prison? That's normally messy. You land where you left. But look, here's the good news, verse number 1. You're given a second opportunity. Check this out. Look what verse 1 says. Now the word of Yahweh, that's the covenant-keeping God, came to Jonah the second time. Boy, that's a beautiful verse, Jim. Son, that's grace. You hear me? That's grace. God didn't speak to Jonah not one time while he was running. He used all of these mechanisms. He used the storm. He used the waves. He used the sailors. He used the fish. He, did, he used all of those harsh mechanisms to get Jonah's attention because Jonah quit listening to God as soon as he said no. How long has it been since you heard God take His Word, make it personal in your life, and you know that was God's Word for you right now? That's the Logos becoming Ramah. You may need to go back and take a no off the table and put a yes down there because normally... The Lord uses other mechanisms to get our attention when we're disobedient. When one of His children says, No, every son whom the Father loves, He chastens. It didn't say every son whom the Father loves, He speaks to him and speaks to him and speaks to him until he's blue in the face. No, He chastens. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, repented. He said, God, I'm sorry. If I ever get out of here, this is how I'll do it differently. And God says, Now you're ready to listen. So guess what? Verse number 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. A God of grace and a God of a second opportunity. But let me hasten to say this. Do not presume upon God's grace. Just because He gave a second opportunity don't mean there's going to be a fourth and a fifth and a 32nd and a 40th. Are you following me? As a matter of fact, this week as I'm studying this, I'm looking through the Bible trying to find, is there some historical character in the Bible where God has given a third and a fourth and a fifth chance? And, and I don't know if I can say that. So to presume upon God's grace that He's always going to give me another chance, always, 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 to do what it is that He wants me to do. And look, we make light of this. Here's what we say too many times. Here was Jonah's mentality. God has a job in Nineveh. Somebody's got to go and preach in Nineveh. Jonah says, it's not me. And here's what we say. Well, if God doesn't use you, all you're doing is cutting yourself out of the blessing because He's going to use somebody else. Wait a minute. That didn't happen here. God wasn't wanting to use just anybody. He was wanting to use who? Jonah. He had a plethora of other prophets He could have called on to go and deliver this message. He was wanting to use Jonah. It was only Jonah. So here's Jonah's second opportunity. Now, what do you think would have happened had Jonah been vomited out of that fish and as soon as he stood up on dry land, the word of the Lord came to him a second time saying, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, uh-uh. 
ain't doing it. I can tell you what would have happened. That fish would have turned around. He just made the channel. He's thinking, dear God, I got rid of that bellyache. You know, I mean, a fish can't even stomach a disobedient prophet. <laughs> he was thinking, I feel like eating. I think I'm going to get some shrimp today. <laughs> that fish turns around. He comes right back up to the beach, and Jonah looks like one of them little cute little seals that the killer whales come up and beach themselves. You ever seen that? Just come up. That fish would have come up. And Jonah would have been done. <laughs> I mean, can't you imagine? Who in his right mind, after going through what Jonah went through, would have got out of the belly of the fish and said, when the Lord spoke to him second time, said, Nah, thank you, Lord, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it. Hey, watch me. If Jonah's repentance hadn't have been real, if he'd have just been sorry for the situation he gotten himself in, because here's what I see Baptists do. I see Baptists get outside of God's will and God take them to the spiritual woodshed and spank their hineys. And it's a mess. They end up where they left off. And, 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 and God gives them a second opportunity. And they still say no. You know what that tells me? Their repentance wasn't genuine. The only thing they were sorry about was the fact they got caught and they got their hiney in hot water. And as soon as the hot water's gone, they think, ah, free again. Not Nineveh, no, not Nineveh. And they get right back in the same prison they came out of. Hey, Jonah learned his lesson. Repentance was real. When his feet hit dry land, hit terra firma, and the word came to him a second time. Here's your second chance, second chance, second chance. Thank God he gives second opportunities. By golly, if you learn anything from the first one, you know that this second one, you're not going to mess it up. And look what the Bible says. The Bible says... Verse number 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and bring almost the same exact command he gave him in chapter 1 when Jonah said no. But look what Jonah did in verse number 3. So Jonah arose, chapter number 1 says, and he went down to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Lesson learned, repentance genuine. Verse number 3 of chapter 3, So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. So what's it going to take for disaster to be averted? It's going to take one person being vomited from his prison. It's normally messy. It's you, you land where you left. You're given a second chance. But number four, it requires, and I put in parenthesis, crazy obedience. Crazy obedience. This is radical stuff, it seems to us. But listen to me. Being crazy obedient isn't near as crazy as being disobedient. When you compare the two, it's not very crazy at all just to do what God says do. So why do I say it was crazy obedience? Because look what Jonah did. I didn't have room enough on my outline, so you just got to write these in. Why do I say it's crazy obedience? Number one, because Jonah gave complete obedience with only incomplete information. He was completely obedient with just partial information. Look in verse number Number um, two again. After God speaks, or God speaks a second time, says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. God hadn't even told him what to say yet. And Jonah says, Yes, sir, I'm going. Now, just put yourself in this position for a little while. Two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. I mean, last Easter, this place was just jam-packed. I think we had like 191 people in here on Easter Sunday last week. 
jam-packed. So here's the deal. What if I said to you today, Easter Sunday, we'll probably, we'll probably pack this place out again on Easter Sunday. But now, I'm not going to be here. I want you to preach on Easter Sunday. What are you going to be consumed with? Huh? What am I going to say? What am I going to preach? Or are you just going to say, yeah, I'll do it? You see, that's crazy obedience. Because you don't even have anything to say yet. You're just like me every Monday morning. Every Monday morning I tell Heather, we're done. I don't have anything to say next Sunday. We're done. Sunday's coming. I don't have anything. The text is not making any sense. I can't see any principles in it. We're done. <laughs> That's where you're going to be. you got to preach on Easter Sunday. You're going to be here or not? See, crazy obedience says, yes, God, I'm going to do it even though I don't know what I'm going to say yet. And here's what we do. We go to talking about missions, just taking folk on a short-term mission trip. Are you going to be obedient to the Great Commission or not? But here's a thousand questions we get. How much is it going to cost? <laughs> Wait, does God want you to go or not? Is it a command in Scripture? How much is it going to cost? What are we going to do when we get there? When are we coming back? No, 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 no. Here's, here's crazy obedience. Does God want me to do it? Yes. Did He tell me what I'm going to do when I get there? No. Am I going to go? Yes. That's crazy obedience. He gives you only the information that you need today in order to be obedient. He'll give you the rest. Look, God had time to give him the message, but here's what I have found. God develops in the process of obedience. He doesn't give you the full-blown plan up front. Man, if he would have told me in, what day was it? March 6th of, uh, May 6th of... 1990, when I knew he called me to preach everything that was going to be entailed, I'd have probably went to Nineveh too. <laughs> he develops in the process. So it's crazy obedience because Jonah responded with complete obedience to incomplete information. But number two is crazy obedience because Jonah gave a serious commitment to a long journey. A long journey. Watch this. From where Jonah landed on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, probably around Joppa, Nineveh is about 500 miles. That's a month's walk. He didn't have Creflo Dollar's jet. <laughs> it's a month walk. Now if you can get on a camel, you may can cut that month down to 15 days. But this is a long journey. It's going to take time to get there. And can I say you, whatever God calls you to, it's going to be a long journey. It's going to take time to get there. Normally what God calls us to do doesn't happen overnight. Are you going to have a commitment to the journey to get from point A to point B where God obviously wants you? It's crazy obedience, number three, because Jonah had complete confidence in God's Word. Complete confidence in in God's Word. Notice what he preached when he got there. The Bible says, here's the message that Jonah proclaimed. Verse number 4, Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. Here's what he cried out. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 
I'm thinking, wait a minute. In the Hebrew text, that's only five words. That's the message? <laughs> you wish God would give me five-word messages, don't you? <laughs> that's the message? Jonah had so much confidence in what God said until he stuck to it. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh and preach your best life today. He didn't go down to Nineveh and try to make folk feel good about themselves, about where they were. He went down to Nineveh and he said this, you got 40 days and God's going to destroy this place. He had confidence in God's word. Crazy obedience. God, would you just give us preachers that your word is enough? I'm telling you, I listen to preaching today and I can't tell if it's the Apostle Paul or Sigmund Freud. Just thus saith the Lord. Check it out. How's disaster going to be averted? Number one, when one person is vomited from his prison. Number two, this is where I wanted to spend all my time and I've done exhausted it. Number two, when people place high value on preaching. We talked about one man, that was Jonah. Now let's talk about the nation. Let's talk about the group. Let's talk about the church. Disaster will not be averted until preaching has a place of high value in our lives. Huh? Can I ask you, what is the preaching of the Word worth to you? Huh? I mean, listen, ultimately, and this is part of our model as a church, I mean, we could have smoke machines, we could have flashing lights, we could have disco balls, but son, that will not feed your soul. The one indispensable ingredient is the preaching of God's Word. And I can't tell you how many people that's not enough for. What else do we need other than God's Word? And how valuable is that to you? Check this out. Let me show you how they valued the Word. It's amazing to me. When, when people have a high value on God's Word, and this is what it was... It was the preaching of Jonah. Did you hear what, what, what April read this morning? The men of Nineveh repented at what? At Jonah's counseling. They repented at Jonah's social ministry that he developed there. They repented because Jonah demonstrated that he loved us. They repented because Jonah was a nice and uplifting character with a gospel wave hairdo. No, they repented at what? At the preaching of Jonah. Friend, I want to tell you, this has nothing to do with the preacher. It has everything to do with the message preached. Because here's what Paul says. Paul says, it's through the foolishness of the message preached that God has chosen to save souls. So here it is, it's preaching and they placed high value on it. Dear God, these Ninevites valued it more than the Israelites did. Because here's what's interesting. Jeremiah preached the same message 100 years later in Jerusalem and they put him in stocks and charged him with high treason. And here these Ninevites heard the preaching of Jonah and repented in sackcloth and ashes. Why? Because they placed a value on this message preaching upon preaching. So how do you know if you really value preaching? Here it is, number one, because it disrupts your normal routine. It disrupts your normal routine. Notice what these Ninevites did in verses 1 
through, or in verse um, 5 through 8. Man, normal routine went out the window. There was no more schedule Monday through Friday. This is what I do from 8 to 5. It got in their calendar and it messed up their routine. But you know what we do? We let our routines crowd out preaching. That's why we have a different crowd show up most every Sunday. Because something in the flow of normal routine is more valuable to us than the preaching and the hearing of God's Word. I mean, look, this is not your average normal message. I told you it was a message about judgment. So I've got to be true to the text and preach it. But son, if you value preaching, come hell or high water, you're not going to miss an opportunity to hear God's Word preached. Now watch me. Look how it, look how it disrupt their normal routine. First, a couple of pre, preemptory strikes here. Number one, they recognize its divine source. Look what the Ninevites said. Or, 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 or notice, notice in, uh, in verse number five. The people of Nineveh, and the New American Standard Version said believed in God. There's no good reason to translate that in God, but just God. How many of you have a version that just says the Ninevites believed God? Raise your hand. That's what it is. That's, that's the best way to translate that Hebrew. The Ninevites believed God. When Jonah was there preaching, they didn't say, Well, preacher, you're just picking on us. They didn't say, Preacher, you're just preaching your political preference. They didn't say, Preacher, that's just your religious opinion. They didn't say, preacher, that's just what you think and you don't like us and you're being racial or you're an anti-Ninevite or something like that. No, here's what they did. They recognized what Jonah was saying came from God. So the Bible says when they heard Jonah's preaching, they didn't believe Jonah, they believed God. Would to God people would value preaching to that degree today that they would recognize this is not just coming from the educational background of Pastor Richie. This is coming from God Himself. And until we get to that point, it's never going to disrupt our normal routine. It's never going to avert disaster until we recognize that the message preached has a divine source and that divine source is God Himself. That's why we preach this book, you know. It is God's Word. Check out number next. I've got to hurry. When it disrupts your normal routine, you recognize its divine source. You focus on spiritual matters. Notice what the matters were that they focused on in verse number 5. The people of Nineveh called to fast and they put on sackcloth. Here's the deal. You know, I think I've only fasted effectively and spiritually one time in my life. I was in Brazil one time for about eight weeks without Heather. And so I... I was miserable. I never knew how valuable she was to me until I was down there eight weeks without her. And the only way I could get by without her being with me in ministry in Brazil is to totally immerse myself in my work. So there were times I would, I would just work right through, right, focusing on spiritual things, I'd work right through lunch and never miss it. You see, that's what fasting is about. Fasting's not just giving up a Snickers bar for the sake of giving up a Snickers bar. We're not Catholic Baptists who are giving up something for Lent. When you fast, and by the way, Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, the purpose of giving up food is so you take the focus off your belly and put it on spiritual matters during that time. 
You'll be amazed how much time you spend pampering the flesh when you start fasting. So they focused on spiritual matters. That was their focus. What's the purpose of the sackcloth? Have you ever put a burlap sack on your bare back? Son, it's like wearing uh, insulation. Fiberglass insulation, that's right. R19 wrapped around you. How'd you like sleep in a big old roll of R19 tonight? That's about what these guys were doing. You know what they were doing? They said, you know, we've been consumed with comfort. We're giving up comfort. We're focusing on spiritual matters. The robe that the king took off is the same robe that's used that Achan stole in Joshua chapter 3. We're talking expensive, comfortable stuff. And now he takes that off and he puts sackcloth on. They're focusing on spiritual matters. i got to run. What happens when the word is valued? It disrupts our normal routine. We recognize its divine source. We focus on spiritual matters. And number two, we unify around it. We unify around it. Look at what verse number 5 says. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. You know what that means in Hebrew? That means every one of them. From the most important to the least significant. They all universally, unanimously were unified around what? Around the message that was preached. And they said, this is not just for one of us, this is for all of us. And can I say to you today that the only hope for the United States of America to be unified is not legislation. When are we ever going to learn that? It's the Word of God. And son, if we value God's Word, it doesn't matter what socio-ethnicity another human being made in God's image is from because we are brothers. Huh? Let me tell you why we're so divided today. Because we don't value this. If we valued this, let me tell you what happened to the United States of America. We would unify around it just like the Ninevites did. We wouldn't have to worry about who was Republican and Democrat. We wouldn't worry, have to worry about anything else. We would be unified around God's Word. Number next, i got to run. My time is fleeting. My goodness. Look, when it disrupts your normal routine, then you influence leadership because of it. Check this out. I want you to see this. First, in verse number 5, the people of Nineveh believe God. And then look, because something was going on in society, unanimously, God's Word was sweeping through the populace. This is a revival taking place. Then guess what happens? Look in verse number 6. When Word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose and he proclaimed a fast and all of these things. Can I tell you how we're going to influence the sorry leadership we've got in Washington, D.C.? Huh? Can I get on a stump for a minute? Look, they are never going to lead us out of this crisis. They can't. They are bankrupt. Let me tell you how it's going to happen. It's when God's people and when the populace of the United States of America unify around God's Word because they value it, then those sorry scoundrels will have to listen to the people who put them in office. Huh? Listen, there's a, there's a sense in which even leaders are followers at a certain point, especially in a democracy. In a democracy, they're not the leader, we are. So why in the world are things going off track so much? Let me tell you what happens when people value God's Word. 
the Walt Disney Corporation will come with their hats in their hands to Main Street USA and say, we're sorry for being such stupid numbskull liberals. We're sorry for taking away ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls out of our vernacular because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody who doesn't know with what gender they identify. That's hogwash. And son, if we valued God's word, we would vomit Walt Disney Corporation out of the state of Florida. I don't care how much tax money they put in the coffer. It's pitiful stuff. Pitiful stuff. It's only going to happen when we value God's word and we unify around it. And look here, I'm not calling for a boycott. I'm calling for revival. Huh? Look here. Not only when it disrupts your normal routine, will it influence our leadership, but we'll shut down the economy for it. Look what the king said. The king arose, laid aside... His robe put on sackcloth in verse 7. He issued a proclamation saying in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let a man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. You know what he did? He did the same thing that we just did like idiots in COVID-19. Shut down the economy. But he did it for a good reason. He did it for a spiritual reason. And you know why I say they shut down the economy? Because listen, let me take you to the northeast of Brazil. If a man don't have a donkey, Dane, he don't have a way to make a living. So you stop feeding your ox. You stop feeding your donkey. You stop feeding your mule. You stop feeding your cows. And you don't have any way to make a living. Because a cow that don't eat good ain't going to pull a whole lot. Matter of fact, he's going to lay down and say, I'm going to strike till you give me some tender vittles. <laughs> so in effect, listen to what he did. The king of Nineveh shut down the economy economically until this spiritual matter was taken care of. Good God. What would happen if revival took place in the United States of America like this? If everybody unified around God's Word? I can tell you from historically speaking. You know what happened in the first great awakening that took place in the United States of America under the preaching of men like Jonathan Edwards? Let me tell you what happened. Do you know when you go to a department store and you have to go to that service desk when you got a return... You know where that came from? It came from the first great awakening. You know why? Because so many came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's Word in that revival until they were taking back things that they had stolen from department stores. And department stores had to respond by making this entire department over here called the service desk. And we still got it today. You see, that's what would take place if there was a revival in the United States of America. If we valued... God's Word didn't just give lip service and tip our hat to it once a week on Sunday. Hey, I'm sorry, y'all, but I'm going to stump today. Is that all right? Check this out. i got to hurry. Y'all got time? Hey, I brought a box of Nutty Buddies. Where are they at? Give me them Nutty Buddies. Let's pass them around. <laughs> i got to hurry. Not only when you value God's Word, it disrupts your normal routine. And the last here is you live consistently with it. Check out this phraseology in verse number 8. Let men call on God earnestly. Now you see this word, that each may turn from his wicked way. That is a construction in the original language. It's known, Dr. John, as a purpose clause. Why do you call on God? And and the word here is let him pray strongly. Let him pray strongly in order that we may turn from our wicked ways. You You know what happens? 
When you call on, man, when you value God's preaching and you fall on your face and begin to repent and you call on God, God gives you the strength then to turn from your wicked way. That's the purpose clause. And you begin to live consistently with God's word and with what you have prayed. Things begin to happen differently. I got to hurry and I'm out of here. Two more things. But who's counting? Here we go. When is disaster going to be averted? My wife up here saying, Would you quit laughing and start preaching? I got something to do. If we value God's word, we'll sit here at 2 o'clock and listen to Pastor Richie preach it. You know, come on, you got to use it for your advantage somehow, huh? Here we go. Number next, when people place high value on preaching, number one, it disrupts their normal routine. You don't just leave here and live like you used to because God's Word has intersected your life. Number next, it determines your future. God didn't destroy him, and you know why? Here's the reason given in the text. Look. When God saw their deeds. Now wait a minute. Why didn't God destroy them? The text doesn't say because He heard their prayers. The purpose of the prayer was to get them right with God, to live consistent with His Word. And if your prayer's been heard and God's responded, He's transformed you on the inside. So how does God know if you're the real deal? Not because you come up here and pray alligator prayers and fill up a box of Kleenex tissues with snot. No, let me tell you how he knows and how disaster is averted when he sees you changed. You don't go back to doing the same old thing because you've had an encounter with God through His Word and in prayer. And genuine repentance and transformation has taken place. The Bible says when God saw their deeds, then He did not destroy them. Hey, listen, if we place high value on preaching, it will determine our future. God saw their deeds. But now here's the sad part, and I'm done. It wasn't long, maybe less than 100 years, the same Nineveh was absolutely wiped off the map by Yahweh God. Read some of these other prophets, Nahum, some of the others that talk about the destruction of Nineveh. Less than a hundred years later, and you know what? Hey, there was a sweeping revival that took place. They valued God's Word, but it didn't last. And you know why it didn't last? Because they failed to make disciples. They failed to teach little Johnny and little Susie who God is and what happens when people place value on God's Word and they live consistently with God's Word. How disaster was averted. He was going to wipe us out, but because revival came to Nineveh, we're here today. They didn't make disciples. Now look here, son, if that's not the United States of America, I don't know what is. You know why we're having to put up with this junk today? Listen to me, because the church failed yesterday. We've got kids today who have no regard for God's Word. We've got young adults today that have no regard for God's Word because nobody discipled them. Oh, listen, God did something in our nation years ago. 
Son, you'll have to put it under a spiritual microscope to find it today. Because nobody passed it on to anybody else. Hey, can I ask you this question? Who are you discipling? Because if you're not discipling anybody, disaster may not come in your generation, but it will come in theirs. That's what happened in Nineveh. Disaster averted. God give us the grace at Grace Church to avert personal disaster in our own lives and to avert corporate disaster in our church, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. God, call us back to yourself in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word. God, would you help us today have the same moral fiber and the same character as the people of Nineveh? And just accept your word at face value. Believe you because of your word. Place high value on it. Let it disrupt our normal routine. Because God, we're in dire straits here. Unless something happens in the United States of America, we might as well say in just a few short years, and the United States will be overthrown. So God, would you help Judgment begin and begin at the house of God, as Peter tells us. And would you help revival take place right here in Grace Church at Bonifay? Not just for the purpose that we can have the warm, fuzzy feelings, but God, so that we can disciple folk and we can change the course that's set before us because of our wickedness. God, I pray for that one person who's here today that may be the catalyst to start it. You've isolated them today. You've spoken to them. You've put your finger on the exact thing that you want them to do. God, this day, would you let that one person be obedient for the sake of all the others who are going to be influenced. As this worship team plays our final song, Dr. John Wilson is going to be standing right up here one side. Colin Dollar is going to be over here at the other side. I'll be right down here in the middle. If God's spoken to you today and there's something you need to do, this is your second opportunity. God's made that clear. You, you can't mess this one up. You can't afford to do it again. Then I want you to come and let one of these men pray with you. If you're here today and you've never been born again, these men love to tell you about Jesus and how to have a relationship with Him that will avert disaster in your life, not only in this world but eternally. Whatever God said to you in Jesus' name, value it and act on it right now.